0: You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Disciples that make disciples. It's a practical way to reach our, uh, our communities. Annette is gone this morning, so if you see me wandering around uh, like I don't know where I'm going, I don't and uh, but she's uh, she 's in Seattle with our interns, and uh, i 'm excited about that. A new internship program is beginning or the the uh, the August is coming uh, there There are more kids signing up now uh, we have i think six with them already and uh, there are more to come, and so we are really excited about that. So you can send your prayers to them, and, and uh, God will bless them, give them safe travels. This is what I want you to do. If you would with me, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. It's Romans chapter 8. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. There are Bibles all around this building. They're under the seats in front of you. You take one of these. It's yours. We want you to have it. We also want you to pull out your bulletin, and on the back... <clears throat> You're going to see a, a, an outline that you can go along, take notes. Listen, it looks kind of big, a little daunting there, but it's not that bad, okay? So we're wrapping up this series. We're going into the, really, the crescendo of Romans chapter 8. So if you pull out these two things, I think you're going to be fine. You're going to get guided through this process well. You know, there, there, there's a sense in which, depending on, on how you grew up and what you were taught, you have some pretty strong preconceptions about the nature and the character of God. Now, the Apostle Paul challenges us about God's character and God's heart as we finish this, this series in Romans chapter 8. But it's going to be a hard one for some of us to hear. Um, maybe because of the circumstances that you're facing in life right now. Maybe because of what you were taught when you were growing up about God. But this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that, that God is going to sh- show us His love. I'm praying that you're going to see his love in a newer, a deeper way than you've ever seen before. And this is what I know. That's only the work of God's Holy Spirit. It's not the work of just teaching out of God's word. God's word is so important to be inspired and alive, but it comes to your heart And it's a work of God's Holy Spirit. You can just read the letters and go away unchanged. But when you invite the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, make those words, make make your truth alive in me, that is life-changing. That is absolutely life-changing. So we're looking at Romans chapter 8. It's Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 through 39. Now, I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I did last week, but it's, uh, it's okay to overlap a little bit here because you get a good feel of how this passage of Scripture, or Romans chapter 8 ends. Listen to what it says. It says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good amen. I mean, that's good stuff right there. That this, is what, this is what the Apostle Paul has come to through the book of, of Romans and Romans chapter 8. And so Paul, as he writes, I don't know if you can experience it or if you felt it, but he has this incredible sense of urgency. He's desperate to help us understand more completely the love of God. Because if we understand the love of God, it changes things. If we understand the love of God, it changes us. So here's our, our difficulty in understanding the love of God. And it begins with the word love. Uh, don't you think that the word has been um, been overused? I mean, it seems today it's pretty polluted. It's pretty watered down. It seems pretty shallow. Uh, we use the word love for all kinds of different things. And I was thinking the way that I use the word love. And I, and I put a little list together. And here's some things that I attach to the word love. I attach the word love to my favorite, uh, my favorite candy bar. You know, maybe, maybe you've done that. I, I, I love paydays. Man, I, I do. I love paydays. By the way, this is mine, so nobody sneak up here to take it. I love paydays. It's my favorite candy bar. I, 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 I love, or my favorite soft drink, I might say, I, I love Dr. Pepper. It's just my favorite uh, soft drink. There you go. There you go. I know, it's just unconventional. Everyone's either Pepsi or Coke, but I'm, I'm Dr. Pepper. Some of you might say, man... I love this, or I love that. Well, I I have my favorite car right now. It's a 1991 Cadillac. I mean, it's a you know that's my that's my favorite car. I I I love that car. That's that's a good car. I might say I love or my favorite sports team. I I tell you what. I I, sorry Giants, but I love the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, you know you might say that. I don't want to start a a riot in here, but I, I do love the Los Angeles Dodgers. But you see the way that we use the word love. My favorite child, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I I thought I wanted to see what you're going to do. Everybody's holding their breath going, oh, no, oh, no. Well, it changes. I just want you to know that. If you're raising teenagers, it just always is changing. It's a moving target right now because you're good. You're my favorite child. But don't you see how we do that? We attach that word to so many different things. You might say that I, I love my new purse, my grandkids might say, I love Jell-O, and then turn around in the same breath, say, I love Jesus. It's the way that we use the word. It's become confusing because we use the word to describe so many different things. So here's what's interesting. is As Paul writes to us about the love of God, he has a number of different words that translate as love. He has a number of different words at his disposal, and there are a few that he could have chosen. He could have chosen the word eros. Eros is, it just simply means this. It's a love that's based on feeling. It's, um, it's usually used to describe a romantic relationship. It's packed full of, of emotion and, and, uh, and passion. And, uh, and, and it's packed full of a lot of different things that we recognize. And usually, most of us, a lot of us define love this way. And this is how many of us think of love. That that we can't really control it, that we really don't have anything to say about it, just our feelings. And this is how many of us saw love growing up. Maybe you saw your parents fall out of love. And so we have this idea of love being very circumstantial. Paul could have used the word eros for love. Paul could have used another word. He could have used another word for love, and that's the word phaleha. That's a love that's based on mutual benefit and commonality. It really is, and you've heard it. It's in some of our words. In fact, it's on one of our major cities, Philadelphia, the the city of brotherly love. And so you see that, and it it really is. It's a good positive word to describe love. It's a love that describes friendship. It communicates loyalty and faithfulness, a brotherly or sisterly kind of love. But it can also be a love that that, that can be conditional, that, that has strings attached. I love you because of what you do for me. And when you stop doing certain things for me, I stop loving you. If I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You see, it can be a conditional kind of love. But then the Apostle Paul uses another word, another word for love. It's the word agape. It's a love that is selfless, that is sacrificial, that is unconditional. And this is a love that has no expiration date. It doesn't come with a list of requirements. It's a love that loves even when there's Nothing offered in return. So. Which of these words. Do you think the apostle Paul used. To describe God's love for you. Yeah. That's agape. That's the word chosen. To describe how God loves you. A selfless love. A sacrificial love. An unconditional love. Where there are no strings attached to this. This kind of love. That's the word that Paul uses here. It's the same word that we read in John 3.16 where it says, and God so loved the world. An agape love. This is a love that is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional. The problem for us is this, and there are are problems with this. It's It's a problem of belief. It's a problem of faith. It's not a problem with God. It's a problem with me. The problem might be with you. Because it's hard for us to accept that kind of love. The problem, again, isn't God. It's the way that we look at it. The problem is we don't see it. We don't receive it. We don't believe it. And therefore, we're not changed by it. Because there does come a time in our lives where God says, you need to reckon with this. You need to deal with this. And I know this is a life journey for me. This is something that I often struggle with because it's hard to believe That that the God of all the universe, the the creator of everything, loves me unconditionally, loves me with an agape love, and I don't have to give him anything in return. That's that's hard. That's hard for you to get your head around. That's hard for you to get your heart around. But until we come to that place of, of believing it, receiving it, it doesn't really thoroughly change our lives. One of the realities is most of us have not experience this kind of agape love in relationships here on this planet. Most of us haven't seen this kind of love. Now, I don't want to really, please, I don't want to be a downer here, you know? Because uh, <laughs> some of you say, yeah, I have, I'm, I'm in love. I said, okay, that's good, but as time goes by, you know, there's things that you got to work with. There's things that may come in and out of, of feeling and liking. You know, God says you're required to love somebody, but you know what, he doesn't tell me I have to like somebody all the time. See, that's the thing right there. And this is what I know about God. God loves me and he likes me. Man, and that doesn't change. He loves me and he likes me. And so here is what we deal with. Why in my life do people love me? When you think about it, why do the people in your life love you? You know, chances are almost everyone in our lives, they love us because... There is there's a because to it. They love you because you are, and you can fill in the blank. I mean, when you really think about it, th- this, is, this is the reality of relationships that we face. There, there's this because to the love that we have grown accustomed to. So here's what I mean. If you've gone to a Hallmark uh, a counter or a store, and you look, and you pull out the cards, they're great, they're wonderful, they're warm and fuzzy. You look at them and they'll say, you know, something like, I really do love you. And then you open the page and it says, because. There, 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 there are becausees attached to our relationships, in our human relationships. But what if the because goes away? What if it goes away in the relationships you're in right now? What if someone loves you because you're beautiful? Well, time will take care of that. You know, over time, there are certain things that go away. And that could be one of those things that go away. They might love you because you're funny. I mean, when you start dating and it's exciting and they look at your sense of humor and you're so funny. And then after you get married, you just become annoying. You know, the funny goes away. You're just a problem child now. I mean, it goes away. What if they love you because you're successful And you get into the marriage, you get into the relationship, and after a while, what happens? Failure hits, because it hits all of us. Sooner or later, we fail. What if the relationship was built on just success? I love you because you're successful. Or I love you because you're strong. That strength does go away. (laughs) There there are times we are going to be weak, and we're going to face that weakness. You see, there's there's those becauses. So what happens when the because changes? That means that love also changes. It has conditions to it. What we're finding when we look at the love of God is that that love in its purest form has no because. That's something you're not used to. That, that, that's something you, you, you have a hard time just even imagining. You mean God loves me with no because attached to it? yes. The answer is absolutely yes. God loves you, period. And that's so hard for us to accept. You know, we want to think that there's something that we can do to control his love. We want to think that there's something we can do to manipulate his love. We want to think that if we work harder, then God's going to love us more. If we do this, God is going to deserve, we'll deserve his love But there's no because in the love of God. In the purest form of God's love in your life, that agape love, there's no because. If you insist, and some of you might, if you insist on having a because, here it is, then put it this way God loves you because He loves you. How about that? He loves you because He loves you. That's God's love. You know, I've, I've struggled with this. You know, I've struggled with this in, in life. I've struggled with this in, in ministry. There's a passage of Scripture in Hebrews that says, don't become weary in well-doing. You know what I realized about that? This is how you become weary in well-doing, that you start doing things, <laughs> attending church, serving, giving, all of those things. You, you start doing those things because somehow you think that God will love you more if you do. There's nothing further from the truth. And if that's your preconception, if that's that's what you live by, sooner or later you get burned out. Sooner or later you get disappointed. And even at the most extreme, sooner or later you get bitter. God and I have gone through those moments where my conception of God in this area was he loved me because I did this for him. He loved me because I did that for him. And you know what happens? You just wear out, you get tired, and you get ornery. And there have been moments in my life where I've had to just sit back and just absorb that agape love of God. He loves me because he loves me. And I remember going through one of those moments and he just said to me, "Rod, I love you because I love you. It's not what you do or what you give or all of these kinds of things. It is I love you because I love you. And I think there are some of you that need to hear this. Some of you today need to hear this because I'm thinking that maybe half the crowd here is feeling pretty good about themselves. Maybe that's a little high. you know. Maybe Maybe it's 20%. You're feeling good. Life's going good right now. And you're thinking, wow, God really, really, really loves me. And then there, there's another part of you that are here, there some of you are here, and you're thinking, man, my life just stinks right now. It really does. And you're thinking, God really hates you. This is not uncommon. These are, these are things that, that we face. And some of you, you need to know that, that God's love is unconditional, but, but you're living life in a way that you're saying it's not unconditional, that's very conditional. You grew up being taught that God would love you more if you did do something or if you didn't do something. I'd ask you to raise your hand right now, but I don't want you to, <laughs> I don't want you to out yourself. And here's where, I think here's where church people miss it. It's when we believe God loves us more than others because of our goodness. you see the trap? That if we believe we deserve God's love because of our goodness and the good things that we do, then what can happen is it carries on in our relationships and how we look at the world and how we live in the world that we live in. And if you believe that God loves you because you're so good and your goodness and your works make all the difference in the world when they really don't when it comes to God's love, you know what it's saying to the world? It's saying this. And, I, and I've heard this. I've heard this about church. We, we are saying this. We're saying, well, we're in his club now. <laughs> we're in his club now, and that means that he loves me more than those who are not in his club. Do you see the elitism that can come in? Do you, do you see the arrogance, the subtle pride that can be part of what we think is the club of God? Because, because we are so good and our goodness is provoking or invoking the love of God, that there's an arrogance that can come with that. There's a a pride that can come with that. Do you remember the day that you were outside of the club and you were looking in? Yeah. That's how a lot of people feel. Because you know what? In each one of us, God has put something, and it's called a longing for belonging. It's a longing to be connected. Can I say this? God doesn't have a club, by the way. He doesn't have a club. This is what's amazing. John three sixteen again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. They would have everlasting life. Did you know that God loves you, the church, just the same as God loves people who are in our communities, people who are on the streets, That God loves you the same as he loves the addict. He loves the addict the same as he loves the people in the church. Did you know his love does not change for people? So how do I communicate that love? The love that's been afforded me, how do I do that? What do I do if I know I have been that arrogant person? What What do I do if I know I've lived in this elite club? You know what I do? and I think many of us may need to do this, is repent of our arrogance and our pride and say, God, forgive me for thinking that you love me more than you love others. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. This is how you make a difference. So what does God's love have to do with freedom from the fear of the future? You're probably thinking, when's the guy gonna get there? Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Our confidence to face the future without fear is based in God's love. 1 John 4.18 says what? Perfect love casts out all fear. All fear. And this is the amazing thing about Romans chapter 8, especially when you look, and if you do this with me, look at verses 38 and 39, because Paul goes through this list. Paul tells us that we can face the future with confidence because God loves us unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly, that I can be confident to move ahead. And what he does is he goes over this, this incredible list. I mean, he, this is what he touches on. Listen to what he says here. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life. What can we do? I can be confident in the face of death and life. <clears throat> that my status, my situation, my living condition may change, but God's love will never change. That his love will always be consistent. It will always be the same. Neither angels nor demons. I can be confident in the face of supernatural enemies. And we are in a place where we deal with supernatural enemies. It's so clear in Scripture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It's those places where, where you can see it, you can feel it. I've been into places where it is so thick, it feels like you could cut it with a knife. Just the spiritual influence that goes on. We have spiritual enemies. The leader of the pack is Satan. It's in scripture. Here's another one. Neither the present nor the future. Wow. We can be confident in the face of an uncertain future. And some of you might be facing that right now. The economy in your life has changed. Things have have switched around on you. You were up and now you're down. And you're thinking, man, I have an uncertain future. It might be because of a relationship that you're facing. It might be because of sickness that you're dealing with or someone you love is dealing with. And you're looking at the future and you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's so uncertain. My future is uncertain. And that's why Paul says, neither the present nor the future Separate you from the love of Christ. Wow. I can be confident in the face of political unrest. It says, nor any powers. I don't know what you're feeling or sensing right now in this nation and around the world. But it seems to me things are at unrest. I mean, I'm just guessing, you know. And if you're, if you're in this nation, whichever side of the aisle you sit on, you've got to be going, wow, this is, there's a lot of unrest here. There's a lot of unrest here. There are things that are going on here. And Thank God that this is not what saves us. Thank God that God's in charge. And I look at this, and he says it, Paul says it, nor any powers that we deal with here in this nation or around the world will separate us from the love of God. And then... Because my destiny is in God's hand. It says, neither height nor depth. I like that. I love what the psalmist says. He says, I can take the wings of the morning or make my bed in hell. And what happens and what do I know is God's presence will be there. It can be the highest I go in life. It can be the lowest I will be in life. And in all of that, his presence, his love will be there wherever you are. Emotionally, wherever you are, you might feel like you're on a roller coaster ride right now. I mean, emotionally, from day to day, things are just, I mean, it's, it's going up and down and all around. And you're thinking, oh, Lord, what's going on? My life just seems to be kind of a disheveled right now. Well, go here. And it says, Paul says, neither height nor depth. My, my, my destiny is in God's hands. No matter what. My destiny is in God's hands, nor anything else in all of creation. Paul says, hey, if I haven't covered it, you know, you know, it's like when you're talking to your kids, you know, and they always look for the loophole in the contract. Have you ever, you know, when you, when you, when you say, well, you can't, you can't have this or you can't have this. Well, you didn't say this or you didn't say that. You know, you're going, wow, whoa. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're, we look for loopholes. It's our nature to look for loopholes. Paul hymns us in. He says, there are no loopholes here. What he's saying is, nor anything else that you can imagine, that you can think of, that your little mind will take you to. He's saying this. He's saying there is nothing else in all of creation that you can even imagine that will separate you from the love of God. Because, why? Because of God's love for me. We'll be able to, nothing will be able to separate us from that love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear what Paul's doing here? Do you hear what he's saying here? If we can get this, I mean, if we can really get a hold of this or even begin to get a hold of this, he's saying that God's love for you is not determined by the circumstances or the situation you now face. Conditions and circumstances are not how you measure God's love for you. The cross is how you determine and measure God's love for you. That's how it's measured. See, because what we want to do is take out our tape measure, you know? We want to say, okay, God, wait a minute, he, okay, he loves me now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, He's not. He, don't. he doesn't love me now. Oh, he loves me now. And we want to measure this. We we want to calculate this. We want to say there are certain conditions where he loves me more than than he loved me yesterday. Paul's saying there's no way and we have no measurement to gauge this. He's saying the way that you measure and determine the love of God is through the cross. There's no natural way to do it. And that's why I love the beginning of this passage. It says he who did not spare his own son is how you measure God's love for you. That's how you measure it. Value. Isn't that interesting? Value. How do you tell the value of something? You tell the value of something by what somebody pays for it. That's how you tell the value of something. What did God do? How does he value you? And he did not spare his own son. That is the value. He gave his own son. We, we struggle with this because we, we start to think that when life is, again, going well for us, God must really love us a lot. And if, if life isn't going well for us, then God really doesn't care. He really doesn't love us. And we we make it so conditional. Paul says this. Paul says it's not based in conditions or circumstances. It's based on the unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is a battle, and I I thought about this all week because I knew I was coming into this passage of Scripture. And if you read ahead and read this passage, I I, I knew there was going to be a battle. I just felt it. Because I, I think I think this, I think there might be some of you sitting out here in silence and quiet, disqualifying yourself from the love of God. That that you're hearing this and you're saying this. Well, yeah, this is this is great. This is for le- everyone else, but for me, I don't think so. And, and so and, and so here's where I went. I just prayed against that disbelief. I, I, I prayed against that self loathing. I prayed against that shame and that condemnation that would keep you, that would be obstacles in you understanding and receiving the wonderful love of God. And when the love of God sinks in and touches our lives, and, and, and it prevails, and it prevails more than conquers. Don't you love that? Whenever God gives you something, it's always a more than. <laughs> You know what he's saying? More than you can do. More than you've tried to do. I looked at that. I said, more than a conqueror. What's more than a conqueror mean? I don't know. I just know when God's involved, there's always more than. That's what I know. I don't, I, really, that's what I know. I wish I could give you some theological explanation to why it says more than a conqueror. And I'm thinking, why did not he just say that you'd be conquerors? I mean, I get that. He says, more than. I'm saying, God, what's that about? Help me with this. He says, listen, anything I'm attached to, anything that has to do with my kids, it's always more than. Because I'm the father. They're my children. And I've given my son and his life for them. More than. So whatever thing you can do and you can accomplish on your own, (laughs) when you when you hook into God, it's more than. When you have carved your life out and you have planned it without surrender, I mean, you've just gone at it and said, I'm going to do this. I'm determined. I'm going to get something done. And there's, hey, it's good to have that kind of energy and that kind of focus. But when you're doing it on your own and it's not coming from the base of God's love, you can never accomplish what God wants to accomplish for you. He wants to give you more than. Always more than. You know the scary part about that? Here it is. I never know where the more than's coming from. Never know. Never know. You know what? I mean. I mean, I take these steps of faith. And I'm going. Oh, help me. This is scary. You said this, God. I'm responding. So I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And the Lord says, I'll, "I'll bring it in." You won't. You might not see. You might not know where it comes from. But it's coming, and it'll be more than. I think of Abraham, took that amazing step to leave his homeland, to leave where he was. And God says, listen, I'm going to give you more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you more than the sand in the ocean. I'm going to give you more than. How do you get that more than? (laughs) You walk in faith and believing and receiving God's love for you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what do I do? In response to His unconditional love, you know, how do I do this? Well, I've mentioned one already. You believe I must receive and believe in His love in order for that to change my life. You know what? This is something. If if I'm looking at my life and I see that I'm I'm stagnant, I'm not moving ahead, and I know it. I I know it's. um, I, I know there's something there. This is usually the first place I go. I usually go to this place and say, God. I, I'm, I'm at a standstill here. I, I'm somewhere not believing, um, not trusting in your love for me. And sure enough, it'll probably go back to a wound in my life, an empty place in my life that I want to fill myself, that I want to heal myself. And the Lord says, You know, trust and believe in me, receive my unconditional love. And then here's the other thing we pray. Pray for a deeper, more intimate understanding of God's love. Again, it's, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of God. There can only be a breakthrough through the Spirit of God in your life. There's no way intellectually you're going to get your head around there. There's no way emotionally you're going you're to be able to totally dive into this. You have to come to this place and say, God, by your Spirit, let me see and receive your great love. And then here's the last one, and I'm going to finish with this. Act, act. Live his love out in the world that you're part of. You know what I see a lot of believers doing today? I mean, they're looking at the future, and this is what we're talking about, a fear of the future. You either, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're not embracing the love of God, if you're not receiving and being changed by the love of God, you only have a few responses to the future. Fear is certainly, certainly one of them, probably the biggest one we deal with. But you know another one? Here's here's the other one. Oh God, I hope everything works out. We just cross our fingers and we hope everything works out. And that's the way we live. Oh God, I'm just crossing my fingers right now. Boy, oh boy. I mean, this world's going to hell in a handbag. I don't know. Let me just cross my fingers. No, you can be part of the solution. That's why you're here. I mean, what does it say in Colossians 1.27? It says, Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in you is the hope of his presence today, the love of God today, tomorrow, and for eternity. It's Jesus Christ in you. You don't have to be a bystander. You don't sit on the sideline crossing your fingers. Listen, you can be part of the solution when Christ is in you. When you know that you've been loved by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, what happens? We can step out and we can bring that love to the people around us. Wherever we are, that changes the world we live in. It's the love of God in you. And I don't know how we got so isolated. I don't know how we got so siloed in that. I mean, we've experienced something amazing—the salvation of Jesus Christ—and then we're sitting around going, "Oh well, yeah, I hope, I hope everything works out." You know, not sure. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. That's what the Scripture says. It says that we can be part of a solution. Listen, if ever there was a time the world needs the salt and the light, it's it's probably now. That you would receive and be changed by this amazing, amazing agape love of God. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? Father, we want to thank you today for your, your love, your grace in our lives. And Lord, I'm just praying that you would break through our hearts and our minds, those places where <laughs> that there's just that disbelief, that unbelief of, 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 of not really believing that you love us, that you really love us unconditionally. And Lord, if there are places in our life that are, 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 are filled with unbelief, that we would even say what the Father said uh, when Jesus asked him, do you believe? He said, I do believe, but, but help me with my unbelief. What an honest prayer. Lord, let us pray that today. Let us experience and receive and embrace and believe in the love, the agape, unconditional love of God so that we can be changed people. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Amen. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? Would you do that? We're going to just close with this song. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.